My message this morning is uh, kind of going to cover multiple things, and that's always a little scary because you maybe missed the point on any one thing. But it's kind of partially a follow-up from last week when I talked about a living well. How do we as a church, how do we as individual believers, as part of the church, how do we live in the days that we're living in, the days that are coming, uh, with all that's taking place in the world, in a world that's hostile to Christianity, becoming more hostile all the time? How should we live? Well, that was kind of the focus last week. So we're going to be sort of tying this in to that and taking it a little further. But at the same time, for our graduates that are here, but for all of us, there's a preparation that needs to take place in our lives. Because life is truly an adventure. And the title of my message this morning is Preparing for the Adventure. Preparing for the Adventure. You know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 23, 24, and these next steps in life, it's like, wow, this is going to be great. It's going to be exciting, and I hope it is. But for all of us, every day is an adventure. Every day is different. We, we really don't know what God has in store for us one day to the next. We need to be prepared for whatever comes. You know, going on an adventure sounds good as long as everything goes well, Right? As long as everything that takes place while we're on there, this adventure is fun and it's encouraging and it's exciting. But you know what? Anybody have ever went on an adventure where it wasn't all that way? You know, things happen. And in life, as life, looking at life as an adventure, there are lots of things in life, life that when we look at them individually, they're not fun. They don't even appear good in any way, shape, or form. So what do we do when the the adventure called life takes a turn in a direction that we weren't expecting or weren't desiring? So I hope as we look through this this morning, we're going to look at what are, I think, really familiar scriptures to most of us. I hope we look at them in a way that we understand that a primary objective of what I believe the Lord was speaking to us there and now is preparing for the adventure. So we're prepared no matter what happens. Now, some of you, most of you, probably don't remember much about Apollo 13, except it's the title of a movie. Some of us lived through it. Some of us lived through it. It took place in 1970. Three men took off on what was to be an amazing adventure. Go ahead and go to the next slide, please. These guys here are the three astronauts that were preparing to take off. One of them, actually, Swaggart, was a last-minute substitution because one of the original three had gotten exposed, and I believe it was to chickenpox or something. And they decided they couldn't risk sending him. So Swaggart jumps in. So these three guys are ready to take off in what is called Apollo 13. They're going to be launched into space, and then two of them are actually going to be landing on the moon and walk on the moon. They're going to be the third to walk on the moon. That was the plan. That was the adventure. They had a name for the main module of their rocket. It was called the Odyssey. And the Odyssey was prepared to take care of these three guys for the duration of the trip. Then they had another smaller capsule. It was the lunar module, and it was called the Aquarius. Now, the Aquarius was equipped to take two men down to the moon for two days and back up and hook up to the main ship and then come back to the United States, back to Earth. That was the plan. But a little over two days into the flight, something went dramatically wrong. 
Now, some of you may know this, some of you may not, but how many people are at least familiar with the phrase, Houston, we've got a problem. This is where that phrase originated from. Apollo 13. Houston, we've had a problem. That was an understatement. Can you imagine being in a spaceship thousands of miles from Earth and there's an explosion on board? One of the oxygen tanks is totally destroyed. The second one is damaged. There's enough oxygen for them to breathe if that was all it was needed needed for, but it was actually also that same oxygen was used to provide this for the fuel cells to power the ship. So here they are, out in space. There's an explosion. What are you going to do? Well, the first thing they did was they got a hold of NASA and said, Houston, we've had a problem. And Houston went to work trying to figure out how we're going to solve this problem. And they decided if they could get everybody into the Aquarius, the lunar module, and totally power down the main module, totally power it down completely so there would be no oxygen used for the fuel cell to power that module, they could maybe make it. Maybe make it. The problem was the lunar module was equipped for two men for two days. And it was going to be three men for four days. And there was no way what they called the scrubbers were a filter that would refilter and circulate the air, removing the carbon dioxide. And there was no way that the filters in the lunar module could do the job. But as NASA usually does, they always have backups and spares. Only this time, they didn't have a backup for the filter on the lunar module. They had a backup for the filter in the main module. One was a circle. One was a square. It was literally a square peg in the round hole problem. What to do? NASA back on land, back on Earth, they had an exact replica that they had trained in, in these modules. And the, the, the astronaut that got left behind, never did get chicken pox, by the way, he says, we got to figure something out. And of course, the answer was, there's no way. But they did some figuring and figuring and figuring, and they came up with a plan. If you want to go online and Google the new filter they created, I can tell you what it was made of. It was a square. They made it out of duct tape. That ought to tell you how important duct tape is that when they put it in the spaceship. Duct tape, cardboard, plastic sack, and the hose from their uh, uniforms. And they made this thing. And they made it on Earth. So they had it, and then they're giving instructions to the space crew. Tell them to do exactly this. Make it exactly this way. And if everything works, maybe you won't die from carbon carbon dioxide poisoning, and maybe you'll make it back to Earth. But nobody really thought they would. But they made it back to Earth. They landed Think about it for a second, the preparation that had to go in for this adventure. 
that allowed them to succeed when apparently everything went wrong. Thousands and thousands of miles from the planet Earth, and your oxygen supply is at risk. Your ride is going to run out of fuel. Not much of a chance. You're talking about a hostile and unforgiving environment. They were in it. But they had been trained and trained well in the basics. They understood their modules. They understood the equipment. They, had, they survived in part because of that basic foundational training. And then they also survived because they asked for help from mission control. Can you imagine? They could have said, we got it. We can fix this. We can do it on our own. And they'd have died in space. But they overcame the impossible and survived because they were prepared. We're going to look at a scripture in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to focus on the church, and I may mention the graduates in in passing, but it applies to all of our lives. The preparation for an adventure. If we really believe life is an adventure, guess what? We're all on the adventure. What's going to happen? Are we prepared for whatever shows up? Do we have a basic foundation of training to get us through whatever comes? In Acts chapter 2, the church is birthed. We're familiar with the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came as as Jesus had promised and it fell upon the disciples and he had told them to stay there in Jerusalem until the power comes because you're going to need the power. And the church came, or the Holy Spirit came and the church is birthed as, as Peter starts to share the good news of the gospel. Basically, he started by defending, no, we're not drunk. That's not what's going on here. We're all speaking in tongues, you understand. We're not drunk. And he goes into the sermon, and the sermon gets to the point where somebody finally is like, what do we need to do to be saved? And he said, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sins and believe that this Jesus was the Messiah. And for us, that Jesus is the sacrifice who died on the cross for our sins. And 3,000 people got saved. And the church was born. The church was born... But boy, oh boy, did that adventure get shaky in a hurry. In less than three years, this group of people... Now remember, this new church started, and the key figure in this whole church no longer was present. He had ascended to heaven, and he was so popular that they killed him, and now you're a public follower of Jesus. It was risky already, and it got worse. Some of the disciples, some of the earlier followers were killed. James was executed. Peter was thrown in jail. Stephen was stoned to death. Persecution intensified. Other followers of believers. This adventure had hardly got going for the new church, and they're being persecuted all over the place, wherever they were. They were being beaten. They were being stoned. They were being killed on this adventure of being the church. This kind of conflict and persecution could have and maybe should have shut this thing down. What would you do if you were them? They've killed the Messiah. 
and you're supposed to be spreading the news, and they're killing people, beating people, stoning people, if they declare the name of Jesus. The adventure wouldn't have been all that much fun. And it could have and, and probably should have died in the natural. But that's not what happened. It not only survived, it thrived. Everything changed. You know, when we go on an adventure, once we start on an adventure, man, there's a lot of stuff we haven't faced before. You know, take the graduates, for example. A lot of us as graduates, I can faintly remember when I graduated, I thought this was going to be the greatest thing ever. I'm getting off the, out of the house and off the farm. My mom probably remembers, man, he got out of here. It took about a week, and I was ready to run home as fast as I could get there. You're alone. You're in a different place. You've got new responsibilities, new freedoms, choices to be made. Finances are a little different. Temptations everywhere. And you're kind of on your own. Sounds like a recipe for potential failure, doesn't it? But isn't it exciting when we get reports back of some of the young adults like stood up here this morning that they're not only surviving, they're thriving. What enables them to do that? What enables you and I as the church as we move into the future here, the coming years when things are just going to get worse? Man, are we going to hunker down and hope we survive? Or are we going to be about the business that God has called us to and thrive When this church was being uh, tormented, persecuted, people were being harmed, it was written by Paul in Colossians. He says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all truth. In the midst of the persecution, man, they could have just closed the door, hunkered down, been a little happy group somewhere. But no, it says it's bearing fruit wherever it goes. As a matter of fact, the enemies of the church declared in Acts 17, verse 6, one of my favorite little verses. It says simply, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The enemies, the Jewish people, the religious people were saying these things about this crazy group of what we call Christians. These disciples, they're turning the world upside down everywhere they go, and now they're here. Wouldn't that be a great thing to hear on the streets of our communities? These crazy Christians are turning the world upside down, and now they're here too. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to hear that as long as we're doing the right things? Not just getting really, 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 really weird. Turning the world upside down. The church grew, and as it grew, it bore fruit all over the place. But how did it do it is the question. How did the church not only survive, it thrived? How can we not only survive as a church and as Christians, but thrive? How can our young people be sent off into their futures, whether it's education or work, and not just hang on and survive, but thrive? The answer is the same for all of us. There's a foundation that needs to be put in place. And this is not going to be new information to most of us in here. But it's information that I think we need to hear over and over and over and over again because it's the foundation and we ignore this foundation way too often. 
So that's what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to see what the church did that allowed them to survive and thrive. They were doing from the very, very beginning. It started right away. They didn't wait until the fire was raging to call the fire department. They laid this foundation immediately. How did they train themselves to be a strong church? How do we need to train ourselves to be strong Christians, which is the church? Acts 2, verse 42. One verse, part of one verse, says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There is the foundation that we have to lay in our lives if we are going to thrive as a community that God calls his church. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, or we might call it communion, and prayer. This is what they did. These four activities. You know, to most people around us, if, if you, you're in a conversation with them and, and somehow or other it comes around to the topic of church and you say something like this, wonder what kind of reaction would you have? I love church. It's an adventure going to church. It is exciting. It is life-giving. I love going to church. And after they call 911, they look at you and say, you're sick. There's something wrong with you. And we need to be that kind of church, and that's how we should... You know, it's exciting. Can you imagine being a part of a church that the people are saying, they're changing the world. They're turning the world upside down. In the midst of all of this garbage that's going on around us, that group of people is making a difference. Being part of a church... And now when I say church, I'm going to hit this again, but I'm not talking about a building, okay? I'm not even talking about you know, victory in ballot. I'm talking about the church because the church is us, the people. Whatever banner we gather under, we're the church. This is what God has declared. We're the church. And it'd be exciting to do something that really, really matters. I think so many times in, in, in every church, including our church, one of the things you'll hear from people is, Cal, church is so boring. I don't, why would I go? It's so boring. I don't get anything from it. That, that is just the worst thing to hear about a church. There's nothing there. There's no life. There's no application. It's just boring. I don't want anything to do with it. It would be exciting in my mind. It is exciting to be part of a church that makes a difference in people's lives. But it's going to get harder and harder. For our high school and college kids, you know what? The world we're sending them into, it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian. We're living more and more in a world that's more and more hostile and anti-God and anti-Christianity all the time. It's getting harder. That's why the foundation is so critical that we have when this adventure goes in a bad direction or when the challenges occur. So what I want to talk about is these four very, quite briefly, actually. So I'm going to speed up. First, the four 
apostles' teaching. What are we talking about here? You don't have to be an apostle to teach. You don't even have to have somebody in front of you talking to be being taught. The greatest teacher there's ever been and ever will be is called the Holy Spirit. And what is he teaching? The apostles taught what we have right here. Specifically, the Bible, but even more specifically, the New Testament. The New Testament is written, and this is the instruction that was sent out to the churches over and over. They had the oral New Testament, if you would, and it was written down for us. The teaching of the apostles, being in the Word, being in the Word of God. If this foundation isn't there in our lives, we are not going to thrive, and we may not even survive. But that has to be laid first, the foundation of the Word of God, the teaching that's for us. And we see they gathered right away, and that was one of the primary things, and it almost seems like the primary thing in the early days of the church. Remember in, it's in Acts chapter 6, there's some murmuring and complaining going on. And the murmuring and complaining going on was because there was a group of widows that didn't seem to be getting taken care of the way that they should. And wouldn't you agree that the church taking care of their widows and the needy is a great ministry? It's something we're called to be doing. But when it was brought to the apostles and said, hey, we got this problem, what did they do? What did they say? We got to get somebody else to take care of that because we can't stop what we're doing. We have to focus on teaching the gospel teaching the Word of God. And we know they set up deacons and the problem was solved. But it gives us a picture of the priority that God has on the teaching of His Word. We can't stop what we're doing. We must teach the Word. We have to have the Word of God in us if we're going to thrive in the midst of what they were facing. And it's the same true for us in the midst of what we're facing, in the midst of what our graduates, you know, I, when I, you know, I don't want to talk about any of our graduates this way, so I'll go back and as best I can remember being one. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> Mother's over there nodding and smiling. Yeah, I thought I had knew it all. I was, you know, I was so smart. I could, cha- I could take on any challenge. I was ready to go. And then I realized, nah, that's not quite true. It's not accurate. And we will discover that as we go on in this adventure called life, we are all going to face new things, new challenges. And will our foundation hold? Why is it so important to be reading and understanding and studying and meditating on the Word of God? I'll just give you three real simple reasons. One, so that you and I know God's will. We face a a situation, we face something. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. I wonder what the Lord says. I don't know what's right, what's wrong. I wonder what the Lord says. If we have it in our, in our mind and in our heart, we don't hardly have to think about it. It's easy. I'm not going there. I don't care if everybody else in the dorm or the apartment goes there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. My foundation's too firm. I'm not going to let that happen. And if we want to learn about Jesus, where else are you going to learn anything about Jesus and what he did and who he was? It's in the Word of God. And everything about our lives as a church 
begins with Jesus and his work for you and me. And just a simple question that's so hard to answer is, how do we live our lives in a way that pleases God? I'm not going to go down that road because we talked about that a lot last week, living well. But the Bible tells us this is what God wants. This is how he wants us to live. He wants to bless us. He wants us to be so blessed. He wants us to prosper spiritually, emotionally, physically. He wants those things, but he, he set it up that there's a lot of choices we're going to have to make, and there's consequences with every one. How do I live? The teaching of the word. Fellowship. Fellowship. Go ahead and put this slide up. I love this slide. I hope you can read it. Any of you familiar with Mama's Family, the TV program? Okay, repent. No. Now, Mama, this is the son speaking. I think his name was Vincent or something. Does that sound right? Yeah, you don't want to admit it. Now, Mama, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. Well, you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of an airplane. But it certainly helps. There's truth to that, obviously. But we can maybe misunderstand it a little bit because that might be understood in your mind that we have to go to the building because that will help us get to heaven. The building doesn't help anybody get to heaven. Again, this is what I mentioned earlier. It's about the church, the body of believers. The Bible does say, do not forsake the gathering of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to gather. And this is a great opportunity and a great place to gather. And fellowship is critical. Teaching of the Word, apostles' teaching, and fellowship. The fellowship with one another. You know, we could fellowship without a building, right? You know, biblically it appears that the church is when any time we gather together with other believers. You know, you get together in your small group, you're having church. You get together in the coffee shop and you're talking about the things of the Lord, you're having church, believers, fellowshipping together. Fellowship is a critical part of the church. If there's not fellowship, you just have people getting together in a building. We do a pretty good job of fellowshipping. We seem to like one another. It should be an identifying, identifying character trait of a healthy church, healthy group of Christians that we're gathering together. And why? Why is it so important? Why do you think the Bible emphasizes this so much? Because it's going to help us not just survive, it's going to help us thrive. We need fellowship. Because we need each other. We need each other. Some of us independent people, I don't think we need anybody, but you're wrong. We need each other. There's nothing more vulnerable than a sheep that's wandered away from the flock. It's vulnerable for attack. We need each other. In Ecclesiastes, a scripture that's often used at weddings, verse four, chapter 412, it says, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We need each other. You know, in the wedding illustrations, of course, it's the husband and bride and, and Jesus. 
But we need each other. Why do we need each other? How does it work? How do you and I help one another survive but, and also thrive? Well, let's just give you a couple examples. You're having marriage problems? Where do you go to get encouragement? Where do you go to get advice? Who's going to help you in that difficult situation? You lose your job, you're unemployed. Who's going to help you? The church should be there helping you, helping you find a job, helping you pay some bills, putting, helping you put on food on the table. The church, the fellowship of the body of Christ. And it can go way beyond that. Someone's extremely sick in the hospital, their life's on the line, or maybe it is the loss of a, life, a loved one. The church. The church is there to try to encourage and try to comfort and just be there to listen, to maybe laugh with you, maybe cry with you. The church, fellowshipping together. We need each other. Fellowship. Breaking of bread, the third thing, foundational. We call it communion. We do it once a month, usually, something like that. Maybe we should do it more often. But one of the things they did when they gathered together, they broke bread. Why did they get together to break bread? It's not just because they were hungry, right? That's not it. Because it was a constant reminder of what Jesus did for them and why they existed. It was a continual reminder every time they broke bread together, every time we received communion. When you read it, it says, do this in remembrance of me, to remember, to be reminded. Whatever they were being threatened, whatever persecution would come, the breaking of bread reminded them again, we only exist because of what Jesus did. We're only here because of what Jesus did. We can not only survive but thrive only because of what Jesus did. We need that. You know, somehow we've got in our mind when we gather together and have communion, it has to take place that first Sunday of the month right here at Victory. Guess what? That is so wrong. You gather together in your small groups, your life groups, a Bible study group, wherever you gather together, you can share communion. You can break the bread and be reminded of what Jesus did. It doesn't take some specially anointed guy with a title to serve you communion. We are the church. And they did it continually with the breaking of bread. To be reminded, what? God loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That's you. He loves you and me that much. That reminder. That was foundational. So no matter what came at them, that was one of the foundational things. I am here only because of the love of God and what Jesus did for me. And fourthly, prayers. Houston, we've had a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. First thing they did, they went to a power better than them, bigger than them, maybe smarter than them. We've got a problem and we need your help or we're going to die. Houston, we've had a problem. They could have tried to fix it. on their own. How many of us think that way? 
Father, I have a problem. Ah, forget that. I can take care of it. I got this one. Ah, this is such a small one. I don't want to bother you. We need an otherworldly power in our lives. Someone whose counsel never fails. His solutions are always right. Prayer. Seeking God. They'd have probably died, undoubtedly would have died, if they'd have tried to do it on their own. And as Christians, we need to be quick to humble ourselves and realize we need outside help. And that's not the only time we pray, but it certainly be, ought to be one of the times that we pray. These are the foundational things. These, these four things, they, 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 there's something that every single one of us can do. Every one of us. We can be in the Word. We can have others teach us. We can teach ourselves, trust the Holy Spirit to teach us. We can be taught the Word. We can fellowship more than just on Sunday morning. Some people are even doing it on Friday night. Imagine that. We need these things. Communion to remind us continually of what Jesus is and did for us. And prayer. Developing that prayer life. We develop those foundational things. We are not weak and helpless. We may be needy. We may be humbled. But we have the power of the living God in us. And we have access to him at any time as Christians. And of course, the first key is always this. You can list all these things, but they don't mean anything if you're not a believer. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's meaningless. And it's simply acknowledging the fact that we are sinners. And somebody had to pay a price for our sins. And because of our sin, we were not able or capable to do it. And Jesus did it for each one of us. If you've never accepted Christ, that's where you start. It's not about what church you go to, how often you go. It's about do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. That's when the adventure really begins. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that you love us so much that you not only gave up your Son to die for us, but you sent your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live in us. And you have given us your Word in the form of the Bible, the Holy Scripture. God, I pray that we would embrace these truths, these simple truths today of the importance of knowing and understanding your Word of fellowshipping with like-minded believers, fellowshipping with one another, being there, relying on one another, helping one another. And that we would continually be remembering that it would never become a religious activity when we share communion. It would be a reminder, as you intended it to be, of what you did for us and who Jesus is. And that we would never take lightly the gift of prayer that we can bring the impossible to the natural world, to the throne of the one who created all things, that we can always, always know 
that you're the God who loves us, cares for us, desires to embrace us. We pray, Lord, that we take these four things seriously, continually lay layer upon layer on that foundation, that we would be a church where we would say it is an exciting adventure. It is so much fun to impact the lives of other people, to meet needs and to bless. That no matter what the world turns into, no matter how much hostility, persecution comes our way, we would thrive, not be satisfied with surviving. And we pray these things, Lord, that you'd be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.